0: I'm Michelle Sims, and this is The Beauty in the Mess, a community where people who crave a shift in mindset, personal growth, and connection to like-minded people come together to start rewriting their stories. Through engaging, honest, and insightful conversations, the show will help you embrace the mess to recognize the meanings and the lessons it holds and discover its hidden treasures to help you start making a mindset shift. Let's listen, learn, and reclaim who we were meant to be. Hi, friend. Welcome to The Beauty and the Mess. This episode is about Matthew Dixon's journey. Matthew went off to college like a lot of young folks do. He even biked cross-country through Canada in the middle of his freshman year. But he knew something just didn't feel right. He was still able to function, so he just muddled through. He even got mostly A's in his engineering classes. However, by the time his fourth year in college ended, he was hit really hard by the depths of schizophrenia and it has taken him 27 years to recover. He has been on an antipsychotic since those early days, but miraculously, on February 11th, 2021, his symptoms just stopped. Now, don't get me wrong, he still continues his medication to this day. He knows it would be a big mistake to stop, but he's now able to advocate for those with mental illness, and especially those with schizophrenia. Hi, I'm Michelle Sims, your host, I'm just a regular person who, along with my family, have had our share of messes that we too have had to overcome. Along the way, I got curious as to how others get through their messes and even triumph over them. Maybe there's a better way, a faster way. Maybe we can accelerate our journeys by learning from someone else. That started my pursuit. I think we can all learn from each other through the sharing of experiences, lessons, and knowledge. So join me for episode 27 of The Beauty and the Mess called Fighting a Dragon Named Schizophrenia with Matthew Dixon. Matthew, as I said earlier, advocates for those with schizophrenia and additionally he helps people with mental illness in developing countries so that they can get access to basic mental health care through his MindAid platform. MindAid is the world's first website that features all of the groups helping people with mental illness in developing countries on one website. These organizations use models of basic mental health care that are low-cost, proven effective, and scalable. And some of these organizations have even been endorsed by the likes of Bill Clinton, Forrest Whitaker, Arcade Fire, Ashley Judd, as well as Robin Williams' son, Zach Williams, and Tim Shriver, founder of the Special Olympics. Now, before we get going here today, I do want to issue a trigger warning In this episode, we will briefly touch on suicide and or suicidal thoughts during this discussion. If this may trigger extreme emotional distress for you, you should probably skip today's episode. And if you or someone you know is contemplating suicide, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline immediately, which is available 24 hours a day at 1-800-273-8255. So without further ado... Let's dive right into today's conversation. Hi, Matthew. Welcome to The Beauty and the Mess.
1: Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: Oh, yeah. Thank you for coming. Now, I know you're a mental health speaker and you're an advocate. Specifically, I read for people with schizophrenia, but you also advocate for people in other countries. But before we get into all that, would you mind like walking us through a little bit of your personal story of how you got to this place in your life?
1: Yeah, so I grew up in eastern Canada on the seashore in a small town, and I had a pretty average childhood. Nothing too bad happened to me, nothing extraordinary happened to me, (laughs) but I I was happy and for the most part, although I could probably tell at the time I had some complaints about my life, some typical teenage complaints, but looking back on it, it was nothing, and I really should have been very grateful for my childhood. I went off to university and I didn't feel the best. And this was the early 90s and I didn't know anything about mental illness. I knew about mental health and psychology, but I hadn't heard the words depression or anxiety in a clinical sense or OCD or bipolar, schizophrenia, post-traumatic stress disorder. I'd heard of shell shock from years ago from the wars, but I didn't know about antidepressants or antipsychotics. I started having these sort of feelings, but I could still do stuff. I was getting mostly A's in engineering at university. I bicycled across Canada in the middle of university. Even though I wasn't feeling the best, I could still do stuff like that.
0: That's amazing.
1: I was on the university rowing team. I could still do stuff. So I sort of muddled through university sort of mentally a little bit. But then when the disease hit, it hit hard. At 22, at the end of university, I took myself into the psych ward and, well, into the university health clinic, and they took me to the psych ward. And that was my introduction into the mental health system, and it took me 27 years to recover. They quickly diagnosed me with schizophrenia after, well, quickly being probably a few months or so, and they got me on an antipsychotic. I stayed on it. I'm still on it today. And it was February 11th, 2021, when my symptoms just stopped.
0: Oh, wow. Amazing.
1: Yeah. The next year and a half, I sort of went through a state of shock or processing. I don't know really what you want to call it. I was able to think clearly for the first time in about 30 years.
0: So were you doing anything differently?
1: Well, I tried to do what I could. I mean, you look up mental health tips on online and there's a zillion things you can do. And my schedule wasn't full of mental health activities for me. (laughs) I mean, you could easily fill your schedule chock full of stuff to do, but when you're mentally ill, you don't want to do a lot, a lot of the time. And so I had time just to think and whatnot, but things I did do were, well, I tried to eat okay, do some exercise. I didn't eat as well as I could have or should have. I didn't exercise as much as I wanted to. But I tried to do that. I tried to socialize. It was painful to talk to people, but I tried to put myself out there anyway. That changed later on. As years went on, I realized I really enjoyed talking with people and having conversations, meeting new people. I read a lot of books. That was one thing I did that really helped me a lot. Bookstores and libraries, they have access to world-class experts. Right. And you can get inside their heads for hours at a time for Free from the library, or twenty dollars from a book, and I just devoured those. I went through twenty years of just reading and reading and learning all these tips to help myself. I went to counseling. I stayed on the medication. Yeah, those are some of the things I did.
0: Yeah. What symptoms were continuing that just suddenly stopped? If you don't mind me asking.
1: No, no, no. I talk about it all the time. So the symptoms of schizophrenia. 75% 75% of people with schizophrenia have hallucinations. I never did. Okay. Those hallucinations can be any of the five senses. And often, I would say most of the time, they're relentlessly tormenting to those who have them. Sometimes, though, they can be actually beautiful and pleasurable hallucinations. They're very real. A friend of mine was in the hospital for some surgery. He had no mental illness or anything like that. But whatever painkillers or whatever was going on with him and his surgery, he said all these metallic bugs started flying out of the wall and they were hitting him in the face and crawling all over him. And he had to have his mom beside him like all night saying, just get them off me, get them off me.
0: Oh wow.
1: And when the surgery was over, he went back to normal and was never like that again, as far as I know, but the hallucinations are real. They just seem so real. And oftentimes they're just not nice. So for me, I didn't have hallucinations, but it was like when you wake up in the middle of a night from a nightmare and you bolt up out of bed and you get this sort of creepy feeling. It's not nice. And for me, when I have a nightmare, I try not to fall back asleep right away because I don't want to go back into that state.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But for me, that's what everyday life was like. It's the old cliche, a living nightmare. And it was like, I never saw anything that wasn't there or heard anything that wasn't there. But what I did see, it just everything just felt very creepy and scary and overwhelming. Adrenaline Junkies, I saw a show on that on TV, and they said that Jet Fighter pilots, they have video games where they put many things on the screen at once, and they have to interact with them or react to them. And they keep increasing the things coming up on the screen. Everyone has a threshold. And they say, well, I can't do it, can't do it, too much going on, and they stop. And if you reach a certain threshold, you can be a jet fighter pilot. And they say that jet fighter pilots, they have high dopamine levels, I believe, and they often have like a monotone voice. They're just very comfortable with a lot of stuff going on and being very calm with it all. And I was sort of the opposite of that. I felt like there was a million things going on, just completely bombarded by visual and audio stimuli, just too much going on. Wow. We all have the feeling sometimes of just "Ah, too much going on. You feel like you're going to go crazy sort of thing.
0: Exactly.
1: But that was what it was like for me all the time. I had depression and anxiety as well, but I noticed an improvement in my health every single week for 27 years. Wow. And it was just a long, slow, steady line up if you plotted it on a graph, just Steady improvement. I had ups and downs in my life like everybody would over 30 years. Absolutely. But overall, there was steady improvement.
0: That's great. So from what you're saying, I gather that you didn't have like a lot of times we see people with schizophrenia shown hearing voices. And you said you didn't have any of that. You just had the creepy, eerie feeling all the time. So does this run in your family? Do you know?
1: We don't have a ton of relatives, like some families have 15 siblings sort of thing. We don't have tons of relatives, but we have gone back into our family tree. Okay, There's not a lot of mental illness as much from what we can find, but there was one lady in the early 1900s in the States who had schizophrenia. So schizophrenia is, there's a bit of mystery around it still, even though we are finding more about it all the time, but it is known to skip generations sometimes. There is a hereditary component.
0: I think I've read at some point or other, like a lot of issues that people with schizophrenia have is that they start feeling so good on the medication that then they quit taking the medication because they feel like they don't need it anymore. And then it comes back. Have you had heard about that? Or?
1: Yeah, I've heard about that. And to be honest, I've never understood it because I, I'm just starting to feel good now.
0: You don't ever want to go back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, on that note, there's a thing called anosognosia, and it's where people don't believe they're sick, and it doesn't have to be for mental illness. It could be anything. The guy who discovered it, one of his patients, his left arm was paralyzed, but he didn't think it was. He sincerely believed it was not paralyzed, and the doctor called this anosognosia. There is a man, his name is Dr. Yavier Amador. He has a website, leapinstitute.org, and he has a method. He's got a TED Talk. He teaches people how to talk to your family member with schizophrenia or bipolar or other mental illness and talk to them in a non-confrontational way so that they will eventually get treatment for whatever it is they've got. So,
0: Right. yeah, I know a friend that's got a family member that just quit taking medicine and, and things have gone downhill from there. So it's very sad, but I know it happens.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know it's very sad what happens to a lot of people. You
0: know, what strikes me in your story is that you were doing so many things right or correct. It sounds like you were social. You were very athletic. Uh You just bicycled across the country. I mean, you would think you'd be in your peak health state. So for it to strike someone like you is very telling to the rest of us that, that it can happen to anyone, obviously. But You knew something was wrong as far as the creepy feeling, but when did you know to go seek help for it? Is it that feeling of overwhelm was just so great you couldn't take it anymore?
1: Well, I went to get help my very first year of university, actually, when the slightest symptoms crept up. I was low on energy. I didn't have a lot of energy to do things. Oh, okay. I went to the health clinic at the university. They sent me for blood work. It came back fine. And they sent me out the door saying, focus on the future. and, And there you go. Keep going sort of thing. So that's what I did through university. But at the end of the university, after some more symptoms crept up on me slowly, well, I could still do stuff. But what made me want to go get help is I was starting to have suicidal thoughts. And I knew that's not good because I didn't want to end my life. So I phoned a friend and he said, promise me you'll go up to the health clinic. And then I did. And I'm still here today.
0: Yeah, thank God you did. So that's awesome. So I know nowadays you are a mental health speaker, right? You speak out on this and you advocate for uh, other schizophrenics, but you're also helping people in other countries. Would you want to tell us a little bit about what you're doing today?
1: Yeah. So one of the things I want people to know about people with schizophrenia is that people with schizophrenia are no more prone to violence than the rest of the general population. There's a stat of about 2% of the population is violent, the general population, and it's the same for people with schizophrenia. About 2% of people with schizophrenia are, are violent. And that doesn't mean that they're all murders, that 2% rate of violence. Violence is actually a difficult thing to describe. It can be kicking, biting, scratching, psychological violence, bar fights. It doesn't have to be murder. In Canada, where I am, the rate of homicide is, I think, one in 150,000 people per year. So it's pretty low, really. It's not 2%. I've read British Columbia Schizophrenia Society says that if there's someone with untreated schizophrenia, the rate of violence can be a bit higher than the general population. And I want to find out what that rate is. And I don't know if it's like 3% or 10%. or I don't know what it is. I'd just like to, to know what that is. But it's still, I imagine, fairly low. That's my assumption. Right. I just want people to know that we're not all out to hurt you. I
0: think that's very important to know, actually. So I'm glad you heard that. Yeah. Because people just get afraid because you don't know. So you get afraid.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I wish more people knew that stat. And if someone's talking to themselves or acting strangely, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to hurt you. I mean, police officers. There's a book I highly recommend to people. It's called Verbal Judo, The Gentle Art of Persuasion by George Thompson, Thompson of the and he created Verbal Judo. It's how to deal with people with words, not weapons. He made this for the police officers. It's used in the states around the world. And it's helped me greatly in just dealing with people. But he says in the book, the vast majority of people that police have to go and intervene with, they can simply be talked out of their state. So many people don't want to hurt anybody. They just want someone to listen to them. Right. They have no one to listen to them. They're stressed. They're at their wit's end. They're alone. They feel unheard. He says so many people around the world have never heard words of kindness, encouragement, praise. And we feel so alone that way. And he teaches you how to simply, well, what he does is he says, stay calm. So often when people are upset, just they rise up to match the emotions. Just stay calm. When you're calm, it'll help deescalate someone else who's upset and find out where they are. Mentally, you have to be able to read body language and have emotional intelligence. Find out where they are. Their state of mind, do they need a hug? Are they even listening to you right now? Are they happy, sad? Where are they? When you find out where they are, talk from their frame of reference, not yours. So often I would walk into a room and just start talking about what I had to say, not paying attention to where everybody else was in the room, mentally what kind of state were they were they ready to receive what I had to say were they even listening to me did they know my mouth was moving
0: (laughs) I like that so I had read and prepping for this I had read where one of your struggles was loneliness and you just touched on that was that because people were fearful or was that just because you self-isolated like you you were afraid of people's reactions or why did you struggle with the loneliness I guess
1: well for one thing with what I had from mental illness is probably the same for a lot of people I remember thinking I could have all my friends and family everybody and I'd still feel like I was all alone
0: right okay
1: you could put every all 7.8 billion people on the planet in a massive field put me right in the middle and I'd say where is everybody
0: <laughs> okay I understand that yeah
1: so yeah I worked in an office that was mostly just sort of solitary work on the computer. I was really terrified to be by myself. That was one of the things when I went into the hospital was I wanted to be, I didn't trust myself. I wanted to literally be locked up so that I wouldn't hurt myself so that somebody could watch me 24-7. So that fear of just not being in front of anybody visually, just where nobody can see me, even in the bedroom in your house or the kitchen, if no one else is there, it scared me in my worst years. And that fear stayed with me for a long time, and it gradually, slowly went away. But I really didn't like being by myself. I, myself, my personality, I don't really think I like spending time by myself. I like having people around, chatting with them, having fun. I'm not really a loner, although some people might describe me as a loner, because I'm a bookworm, I can spend hours reading books and going on the internet, learning stuff. But for people's reactions, I worked in an office for 20 years, the same office with people coming and going over the years, And I felt very comfortable telling someone new about myself. Once I could sniff them out a bit, are they going to give me a hard time if I have mental illness or something? But if I quickly sniff them out, I wanted to just say it right off the bat, I've got schizophrenia. If I seem a bit different, that's why. (laughs) And I really felt it helped to just break the ice and just get the elephant out of the room. Just, Just get it out of the room. It worked for me. I did that a lot. And no one really gave me a hard time. Later on in my recovery, I did have a bit of difficulty with some people, but I was able to handle it okay, although it was a bit scary. I was able to handle it okay. Plus, I grew up in the 80s, went off to university in the 90s, so uh, social media didn't come around until I was about in my 30s, so a lot of those friendships had just kind of gone on. People are so connected, or at least you know where to find somebody, even though you may not talk to them a whole lot. Whereas back when I grew up, it was people just kind of disappeared (laughs) you might have their phone number but a lot of times you just didn't know how to get a hold of people
0: that's very true
1: or at least not as easily as it is now yeah i yeah i don't know it's just difficult there's this book it says where is god when it hurts and he says that when people go through really horrible stuff they say that people will often leave you it's just too intense and I don't know if I was just putting out those vibes of, okay, you know, this Matthew. People even just do it sort of subconsciously. They just kind of stay away from you or not involve you as much. I don't know. But this book says people often leave you unless you have a really close relationship. So I don't know how many close relationships I had, probably not as many as i like. But I heard a lawyer talking to student lawyers about mental illness. And he recommended to the students, find someone you can share your highs and your lows with. And I think that's my advice too for people. It may be tough to find that. What I recommend is share a little bit about yourself. So often we're afraid to open up because of what people would think of us. But I find that if you share, I find a little goes a long way. You don't have to open up the floodgates Just open up yourself a little bit. Tell something that you wouldn't ordinarily tell. And plus, you can just test the waters that way. Maybe further down the road, you might want to share a bit more than you would. My recommendation to people for opening yourself up to other people, but like going after your goals too. Some people are afraid to go after their goals, their dreams. And I'm saying, well, you don't have to go 100%, face all your fears in one day, go bungee jumping. Just go 1%. Go 10%, just go out of your comfort zone a little bit, like 5%. I find that that might help some people. Marnie McBean, the Canadian Olympic rower, she says, go do what makes you comfortably uncomfortable.
0: Right, get out of your comfort zone a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I commend your bravery because I I know it has to be, at least initially, it had to be tough to tell people because of the fear. I mean, we're all afraid of rejection, no matter what it is you have to tell people. So it's awesome that you were able to be open and share.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it's tough. I don't want to sugarcoat. I I sort of have two audiences. For people going through mental illness, I know how difficult it is. And I, I don't need to explain to them how horrible it is. For them, what I want to tell them is that there's hope. And that it seems impossible, but it isn't. You can keep going. Right. Navy SEALs are taught in their training that they are capable of 20 times more than they think they are. And people who attempt suicide and survive, many of them, it's well documented now, many of them instantly regret it. And when you think you're done, you're not. I call it hope beyond hope. When you've lost all hope. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's an old saying, but I use it. When there's no hope left for you, when you think you're done, you're not. There's other things inside of you. I don't know what you want to call it. luck chance, fate. There's other things that will just keep you going for you. Someone said this the other day. If you feel disconnected from your mind and you just feel lost inside, remember that your mind might be disconnected, but your body is still showing up. Your lungs are still breathing. Your heart is still beating, pumping blood through your body. It keeps going. Your body will show up for you when your mind doesn't. And I know other people have problems physically when their body might not shop for them. I thought that might be able to help some people. I just read that the other day.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. One of the statistics I saw, which I'm in the United States. So I was looking up in the United States and it said that one in five people suffer from a mental illness and one in 25 have a serious mental illness. So, I mean, it's very prevalent and we need to start talking about it. We need to start addressing it. And so I am thrilled that there's people like you who do yeah
1: thank you thank you yeah so you asked about the mental health in developing countries yeah my worst year a lady saw me walking down the street and she said I looked like I was walking through a world of flying glass and I was like yeah thanks for acknowledging that and seeing that because that's how it feels I felt like I was in a war zone it was terrifying every step I thought might be my last and you just Put your head down like someone walking across a tightrope over shark-infested waters. You put your head down. You can't go back. You can only go ahead. And you just keep walking very slowly, very patiently, very scared. And you just keep walking. And you just hope and pray that you'll make it to the other side. And my heart goes to people with mental illness in developing countries who have extreme poverty or who have war, who have actual war to go through with mental illness as well, often untreated. Mental illness, I went through treated mental illness, and I felt like I was living in a war zone. And it wasn't until 2017, and I saw this TED Talk by Vikram Patel that talked about mental health in developing countries. And it was the first bit of content I'd seen on the cause. So I started researching it, and I found that there are groups helping. They use models of basic mental health care that are low-cost, proven effective, and scalable but they were scattered across the web. And I thought, well, why don't I put these all on one site to make it easier for people to find? So I did. I made my website in 2018, mindaid.ca. And it is the world's first website, as far as I know, with all the groups helping people with mental illness in developing countries on one site. Wow. And it's starting to get some traction. It's been on for five years now. I've had to work on the end of my recovery, too, the last so many years. And I haven't been able to be as productive as I'd like because schizophrenia can knock out your productivity. So I've been trying to work on that, but I enjoy speaking up on stage and screen. I like talking about this and I want to get in front of larger and larger audiences. I want to focus primarily on mental health in developing countries because I think they have it worse than I ever did. But I also want to talk about schizophrenia because it as well... If I'm up on stage and screen, I want to talk about (laughs) schizophrenia too. Of course. Because it's under-talked about too.
0: (laughs) So do you have any idea, even in Canada, like how many people suffer from schizophrenia?
1: It is 1% of the population worldwide.
0: Wow. Okay. Yeah. And how many, I wonder, go undiagnosed? Is that an estimate or is that the people who are diagnosed?
1: That's an estimate of all the people who have it, whether they're treated or not. Okay. And I don't Mm -hmm. know... They've been saying that 1% for decades, so i th- that's all I know about it, to be honest. Yeah.
0: Okay. I was just curious because I hadn't seen that statistic. So I know you said you had a few issues because you're dealing with your own health, but what lights you up for the future? Where do you see all of this going?
1: So Jane Goodall, the environmental and animal advocate, has been a real role model for me. She's in her late 80s. She's been traveling on the road for decades speaking about these causes. And if I could be someone like her at her age for mental illness, I think I'd be pretty happy with myself. I could sit at home and watch Netflix and YouTube and live an ordinary life, which to be honest was my goal. When I was first hit with schizophrenia, my dreams were taken from me. I had one singular focus, get through my life, get my life back, get my health back. That's all I wanted. And I didn't think I had dream. I thought, well, maybe later on I might speak at a high school or something. I had no big dreams for myself even though I'd just biked across Canada. Wow. But as the years went on, I started reading books on how to help, how to advocate, how to public speak, how to fundraise, make a website, social media, all that sort of thing, how to start a nonprofit or social business. And so I was reading. That was one thing I could do was read. I could read, and even though I couldn't take action on it for years, I was reading this stuff, trying to prepare myself. And I recommend that to other people. If you are too scared to follow your dreams, but you want to do something bigger, read about it, learn about it. Because the old cliche, knowing is half the battle, I found to be very true. Just having that knowledge inside you, and after reading so many books on it, you can call yourself a bit of an expert.
0: I'm sure you are. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you've read tons of books.
1: Well, I found it really helpful because when I made my website and started reaching out to people and getting on Facebook and YouTube and all that sort of thing and going to events and saying, Hi, I've got my business card. I'm Matthew Dixon. Inside, I'm thinking, who are you, Matthew, to do this? But I found that I was able to throw around certain terms with social entrepreneurs and other speakers just because I'd been reading the book. Knowledge helps. So where I want to go, I would just like to get in front of larger and larger audiences. If I could raise hundreds of millions of dollars for the cause as the years and decades go on, that's what I'm telling people. That's my goal. And it's big and audacious.
0: That's awesome. Do you get to speak at high schools? Have you tried that?
1: I did that in 2021 for the first time. I spoke at my own high school and another local high school. I find what I'm speaking in front of a group, or at least it was about a year ago when I did that, I sort of feel smaller in front of an audience. I don't feel sort of big and loud and animated, and I feel more comfortable online, like a virtual interview. Okay. And I don't know really why that is. Hopefully I'll get more confident in front of a live group. I think I can, just might take more practice. And yeah, I feel my confidence growing. I'm starting to do things that quote unquote normal people would be afraid of, like public speaking for one. Most people don't ever want to do that.
0: <laughs> I think you're doing awesome. <laughs> so have you thought about doing your own TED talk on the subject?
1: People have said that for years, people have said you should write a book and for me, I kind of go where the energy is. If I'm sort of feeling it, it's going through my head a lot and I get sort of excited about it, I'll go down that path, whether it's sort of anything, whether it's going for a walk or watching a movie or working on my mental health advocacy or choosing what to do in my mental health advocacy. And, and with me, for someone who had so little energy for so long, I kind of have to, when I get some energy, I try to use it because I don't know if it's going to go away or what. So I'm doing what I can with what I've got. But uh, I feel myself growing more confident, and I'm getting better at YouTube. I started making some YouTube videos in 2020, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm on YouTube. Oh, my gosh.
0: That's a great outlet, really. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm getting better at it, but I I still have room to grow. I just keep plodding along. That's what I do. That's what schizophrenia taught me. Just keep plodding along, Matthew. Slow and steady. You just keep going. Just like in finding Nemo, you just keep swimming.
0: (laughs) So this is probably an odd question, but do you feel like in helping others that that's kind of been a part of your healing journey for yourself? I mean, is that helping heal you as you try to help others?
1: Yeah, other people have said that. And I find, well, I'm sort of so far along in my healing journey anyway. I mean, I was diagnosed like almost 30 years ago. And another part of me has had a lot of time to just get used to the fact that that was my life for a long time. All right. So I find that I mostly just sort of have fun when I'm up speaking. I don't really find it healing or therapeutic in that sort of sense. Okay. But I still enjoy it. have fun with it. And I want to do it. It means a lot to me. It makes me feel good. Often when I got up after an interview, I will do a fist pump like, yeah, I did that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was jealous of people who were fairly sick and could still advocate. I just couldn't. I had to wait until I was feeling pretty darn good before I started to do my advocacy work. So and uh, so I I was jealous for years of people who could do that. I, I just had to keep focusing on myself before I was ready. So I think I'm ready now. I've been doing this for five years. I'm conscious of stress, haters or stalkers, that sort of thing, things that don't go well. I'm conscious of that. I'm not cured. I'm finally managing my disease. I still take my medication. They may find a cure someday.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they've made some recent developments in in treatments for dementia that seem to be rocking the world, at least in their potential. And people don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And I know with schizophrenia and depression, you can feel so negative and pessimistic about the future. I hated that. I hated feeling so pessimistic, not being able to see the bright side of things. The glass is always half empty. And I didn't like that because that's not my natural personality, I don't think. Some people may say I'm a Debbie Downer. I don't know. I like to think of myself as a last half full kind of person. But you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. It's not like all these people who've been studying in labs and researching and working on things and inventing things for decades, centuries, are all of a sudden just going to stop tomorrow and say, "Okay, we're all going home. We're all going to play golf. That's it. We're done. No, they're going to keep working and they're going to keep discovering tons of things like they did the last year, the last 10 years, the last 100 years. They're just going to keep coming and you don't know what those are. So you may think, well, this is just the way it is. They're never going to find a cure. I'm going to be like this forever. You don't know that. Right. You don't know. You really just don't know.
0: Well, I think you bring in awareness of the problem to everybody because there's so many people that could be listening to you in any of your outlets and not really even fully understand what's happening to them, but they listen to you and then they realize they need to get help and they can improve the quality of their life immensely. So I think awareness is number one. Uh, it sounds like you're doing a fabulous job of getting awareness out there.
1: Thanks. Your podcast is called The Beauty and the Mess. And there's a book that I've been telling to people for years. It's called The Survivor Personality by Al Siebert. Oh, by the way, some of the books I mentioned here are other resources. I list them all on my website. There's a list of my best mental health tips there. Okay. This book, The Survivor Personality, He studied people who went through the Holocaust, natural disasters, cancer, alcoholism, all sorts of things. For decades, he studied them, and he found that when people got through something and actually not just survived on the other side, but flourished and thrived on the other side, he said they all said the same thing. They said what they went through was the worst thing. They said they would never want to go through that again, not in a million years. It was horrible. But it was the best thing that could have ever happened to them. They learn from it, they become stronger, they become more confident. And that's where I'm starting to reap what I've sown. And for years I've known that phrase of that was the worst thing that ever happened to me, but the best thing as well. And I'm like, ah, I'm just not there. I'm just not there. It's, this is because I was still in it. And it lasted for so long, for years and years and years. you know, I, I was just waiting to just feel like myself and be happy. And I can never get there. But I knew that phrase, and that's what I was aiming for. And it's starting to happen. I'm starting to feel stronger, and more confident, and more and happier. And I'm learning. I get to think about what I've been through now. I have full, complete thoughts, not run on sentences forever. <laughs> and I'm getting to learn and grow. And it's nice. And I will say this. There was a man who interviewed. He was a, an Olympic diver. He had an accident, and he became a quadriplegic. And the interviewer went to his house. He was living at home with his parents, in bed, quadriplegic, couldn't move. And he went to interview him. And and you could tell he wasn't happy where he was. He didn't like being disabled like that. And he was unhappy. And when it was time for the interviewer to go, the diver was like, no, no, don't go, don't go. He didn't want to be left alone because he had what he thought was no life. lying And this was a connection to the outside world with this interview with him. The man, the interviewer, went back to interview him years later. And he went back to him. Nothing had changed. Lying in bed at home with his parents. And this time he said he could just feel there's more peace over him. When it was time for him to go, the man said, bye, see you later. Happy to let him go. I don't know if that'll help anybody listening right now to know that there's other things. There's the mental illness experience. There's your own experience. There's a human experience. I don't know what else to call it. It's just there's things. Sensations or experiences or thoughts or feelings or mindsets that we get in that can change throughout the years that aren't really related to mental illness. Right. And there's just other things going on. I just call it the human experience. And it's, for lack of a a better word, sort of more of a magical or mysterious or miraculous kind of uh, way about life. And it's hard to think that way when you're mentally ill because you're just in such a survival mode, more like, where's my food and water coming from today? And I couldn't think that way anymore when I was sick. And when I was younger as a teen, I could think more of the beauty of life and how magical life can be and that miracles can happen. Forrest Gump said that in the movie, people think miracles don't happen, but they do. Very true. You don't know when that's going to happen. And I just encourage people to keep fighting. It's really, really worth
0: it. You have immense gratitude. But you also learn not to take anything for granted. And I think that's a huge life lesson, isn't it? That you cherish everything in a way, everything good, you know, because you know what it was like not to have it.
1: Yeah, I'm starting to get that, those feelings of just being happy wherever I am. There's a couple people, random people not related to each other, posted recently online about People are searching for happiness. They want self-help books, personal development books. And I think those are all great for sure. I've read a ton of them. I think they're wonderful. And they made the comment of, if you're always striving for something, you're never there, never where you want to be. And I'm starting to learn, because I've been striving for 30 years to get my health back, my happiness back. And I'm at the point now of like, oh, maybe I can still strive in a certain way for things. Like I'm striving for mind aid and to help other people with their mental health challenges. And I'm striving for that. And I'm not where I want to be. I haven't raised $100 million yet. And so part of me is saying, oh, Matthew, you haven't done this yet. Work harder. You're not where you want to be. You should be upset about that. Your brain tells you this stuff. But another part of me is thinking, Matthew, so you're not where you want to be. Today's a beautiful day. Today's a gift. The sun has come up. It's another day. Instead of just thinking, I'm just sitting here at home, not doing anything with my life. It's like, well, I'm sitting here at home. I get to sit in a house. Like, look at that wall over there. I I can find entertainment in looking at paint on the wall. Right. I couldn't. I couldn't for so many years. And it's like a lady who was bedbound. She said, I have to make an adventure of my life. And a spider walking across the window to me is a big adventure. And you have to be happy with that. People who've climbed Mount Everest and do all sorts of the ultimate goals in life. They say, we don't do that all the time. A lot of our time, there's a mental health advocate and adventurer in Canada. She says, most of my time is on the computer and doing stuff for that. I'm not always outside on adventures. Most of the time, I'm not on adventures.
0: (laughs) Well, I would say that in a way, you've climbed your own Mount Everest. I mean, if you look at how far you've come and everything you've overcome, you've climbed your own mountain in a sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know. It literally felt like I was fighting dragons, like literal fire breathing dragons for a long time. Like in a movie. Literally felt like I was in a movie. People watch movies of people fighting dragons. They pay money to see that, like the Lord of the Rings and whatnot. But you take someone from that audience and you put them in the actual movie, fighting a dragon, you see how much they want to be there. I did not want to be fighting an actual dragon, but that's the way it felt. Just like just death and danger all around me. And what I want to tell people is that I know how you want to get out of that nightmare, how you want to get into your daydream, your dream, your normal, happy, healthy life. But you have to keep fighting. You have to keep fighting. You have to keep fighting. You're like tying your shoes. You're going for a walk and you think, well, I'm just going for a walk. You know, I'm, I'm not in the Olympics. I'm not, you know, all that sort of thing. I'm not in the Tour de France. And your mind tells you all this negative stuff while you're actually, so you're fighting these dragons, but your mind tells you you're not. And I want to remind you that all those battles you're doing where you think, Oh, I just did this today. When you get to bed tonight and you think, Oh, no, just another boring day. I'm not living the life I want to. No, 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 no. I know. I get it. I know your brain's telling you this, but I'm telling you now because someone has to, if your brain isn't, I'm going to tell you because What you did today was a phenomenal accomplishment, an amazing accomplishment, and I know you can't see it, and I know you know what I'm talking about, I know you can understand what I'm talking about, but it's a phenomenal accomplishment and you need to hear it because your own thoughts may not be telling you that, so I'm telling you that because I've been there, I get it, and I know how depressing it is. Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia, the actress in Star Wars, she had bipolar. She said, people with mental illness deserve medals for their courage, for their bravery, like actual medals. We see war vets getting medals for their acts of courage and bravery. Well, whatever country you're in, the president, prime minister of your country, you should be today, this evening, the end of the day, when you've done everything you did today, all those acts of bravery and courage today, here you are at a ceremony, and the prime minister, president, they're pinning medals to your chest. Look at all those medals you got for just today. And tomorrow, the same thing. The next day, you will get medals all the time. You are climbing Everest every day. You do deserve to plant that flag at the top of the mountain and see that beautiful view and get all the recognition and praise instead of being put down. We're paying more attention to people with mental illness now and people who are homeless and other people who've been neglected. Indigenous are making more strides and treating them better because we've so many people been put down. So many minorities have just been treated horribly. Mental illness being one of them. And I'm saying to you, you are not someone who's less than anybody else. Before electricity was invented, wars were fought during the daytime. And when they invented electricity and electric lighting, wars started being fought 24 7 around the clock. What they found was after two to three months of fighting, just eight to 12 weeks, 98% of the soldiers got a psychiatric disorder. 98%. Oh wow. The other 2% were psychopaths, and that's a natural variation in the population. And most of them are what you call nonviolent psychopaths. They're your Sunday school teachers, people you meet in your community. They don't do anything bad, but given the opportunity, they can kill somebody and be okay with it. But 98%, just 8 to 12 weeks. So all these tough people, all these Navy SEALs, what they do now in the Army is they put you into war, then take you out. They give you a break. Then they put you in, then they take you out. And that way they don't get psychiatric disorders. So all these tough people on TV who you're thinking, well, I can't be like them. I'm not an ABC. I'm not this rugged Dwayne Johnson kind of character. Dwayne Johnson had depression, by the way, years ago. And I want to remind you that they're just all these tough people are just weeks away from being in the same condition as you. Just a matter of weeks, days with the right kind of negative, destructive environment. Right, right not weak. You're as normal as the rest of us. I'll go back to Forrest Gump again. Forest Gump's mum to Forest. Forest, you are no different than anybody else.
0: Right. Absolutely. Well, I think you have a beautiful message to share. So thank you for sharing it with us today. You're welcome. Would you want to share a few of your mental health tips that are just general mental health tips?
1: I mentioned some of the main ones already. Mark Devine, he's a Navy SEAL. He's got a book called Unbeatable Mind. That's another book I recommend to people. Dr. Daniel Amen. He's a leading brain scientist in the States. Yeah. He's got a ton of books out. He has the Brain Warriors Way music program. I have it on CD. It's on Amazon and iTunes, I think. And it's got songs for creativity, for focus, for relaxation, for anxiety, for all sorts of things. Oh wow. I've been listening to that for years. I mostly just have the CD on in my car. But I recommend that to people. It just helps for overall brain health. And check out my list on my website, the list of my best mental health tips. That's got other stuff there. That's got tips for schizophrenia. Lauren Kennedy, she's a YouTuber in Alberta, Canada. She's got a Living Well with Schizophrenia YouTube channel. I'm really impressed with her. Students with psychosis in the States. Cecilia McGow, she has a TED Talk called I Am Not a Monster Schizophrenia. She has student advocates with people with schizophrenia around the world. Wow please check out that list. That's my top quick and easy list of things that I've been recommending to people for years. And for Mind Aid, I really encourage people to check the website out. It'll send you off in a bunch of different directions. And my website software tells me people spend about eight or nine minutes per visit on the site just checking things out. So people can spend a fair bit of time there just looking at other things. Some people are kept in chains with mental illness. Tied to a tree, tied to a bed. They estimate hundreds of thousands in 60 countries. There's a platform called hashtag breakthechains where people can go sign a pledge. They're looking for 20,000 signatures. That's an easy thing you can do. Share social media posts. I have 10 nonprofits in the donate section of MindAid that you can donate to for as little as $3 a month, $5 a month, $10 a month. You can share their posts. Many of them are on social media posting regularly. If people could have conversations about this, uh, it's easy to do. I find when I tell someone about mental health in developing countries, it doesn't take an hour to describe to them. We've been building schools and drilling wells for people in developing countries for years, buying goats, sponsoring children. People get that. Just throwing, oh, yeah, well, what if they're mentally ill? Well, people get that in a second. And well, okay, okay, I get that. Never really thought much about that and send them to MindAid or some of the other websites on my site. There are people helping. There are people who've been helping for years, helping thousands of people get their mental health back. And I'm just wanting to reach larger and larger audiences. If people want to have me speak, I'm open to speaking on podcasts, at your events, for your business, your nonprofit, your school, wherever, virtually, in person. I'm wanting to speak about this a lot.
0: I think it's wonderful that you are. That's great. Yeah. So thank you for all that you're doing.
1: Thanks. Oh, you're welcome.
0: <laughs> and I'll definitely put your website and any of your links that you give me in the show notes for people to, to be able to contact you or reach out to you or go to your website or whatever they choose to do. I do have a quick question. In the countries that you were talking about where they're literally chaining mentally ill people up, are things getting any better yet? Is it just a lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding or a lack of treatment or why are they doing it?
1: So, yeah, well, you'll read different things. I've never left North America. I've mostly just been in Eastern Canada most of my life. So I haven't been to these places, but you'll read different things. Like they say in some countries, uh, people with mental illness are actually treated as geniuses. They're respected highly. And then you also read about people in some countries where they think they're Possessed by the devil, sort of thing, and they're shunned from their family and not treated well at all. So, I don't know. So, you read different things like that, but there are over 270 million people in developing countries with no mental health care. And the experts say that number is probably lower than it really is. So, it's a vastly under resourced cause, but there are ways to help. And these groups are helping. They've helped thousands of people, but there are hundreds of millions of people to help. So, I'm encouraging social entrepreneurs to start their own nonprofit to get more people on the ground helping deliver these models of basic mental health care and people just sharing, talking about this. I mean, UNICEF, everybody knows about UNICEF and all these large humanitarian organizations. All these names are commonplace. Right. You have Strong Minds, for example, or Fine Mind, Basic Needs US, or Partners in Health, all these other groups helping people with mental illness in developing countries, if these could have that big name brand, like UNICEF, for example, think of the number of people who would be getting help.
0: That would be tremendous.
1: Yeah. So I've made my website. I've tried to make buzzwords out of some of the stats and whatnot and some of the concepts to make it more easy to share. And I'm more of a promoter for the people doing the work. I may have my own nonprofit someday, having people on the ground, delivering basic mental health care. But in the meantime, I want to promote those already doing the work and building their capacity. Because these models are proven effective. And the World Health Organization is trying to figure out the best way to roll them up to the masses. I think people should know about them. Because what? We're actually talking about mental health now because of COVID? right? Really? It's really finally brought it out? Well, if there was ever a chance that mental health in developing countries could go bigger, this is the start of it.
0: Yeah. And to your point, COVID brought light to because so many people were isolated, right, that they started having problems. And then as you're watching all the economies around the world are starting to struggle, I think you're going to see even more instances of mental illness. So I, I think it's very important to talk about, very important to address. And if you see someone struggling, like you said, try to find the right words to help convince them to go get help.
1: Yeah, I'll throw in one. I often forget to to mention this on my interviews. Eco-anxiety. I've got on my list of my best mental health tips, there's some resources I've made for eco-anxiety. And a lot of people are stressed about the fate of the world, but I've found a couple books that have helped me immensely and just making me feel more at ease with, okay. Anyway, I encourage people to go check that out, my resources on eco-anxiety, because there's not a lot of information on that online. There's not a ton of books. What is it? That. Eco-anxiety or climate anxiety, people worried about the fate of the planet, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, the environment, yeah.
0: Okay, yeah. Okay, I hadn't heard of that term, so I was surprised.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of people going to counsellors with this, you know, stressed, anxious about what's going to happen. They've actually coined the term pre-traumatic stress disorder, stressed about trauma that hasn't happened yet. And a lot of counsellors aren't trained in how to deal with it, it's brand new but they are working on it. There are people who've, who can help. And these two books have helped me immensely in just calming my nerves about the future and just making me feel more relaxed. And no one knows what's going to happen. They say that in the books. Not one single person on the planet knows what's going to happen. But you have to keep enjoying your life. Exactly. And you have to just keep going on. And I know if you're clinically stressed with eco-anxiety or whatnot, and it's really bothering you. I can't guarantee that these two books or my article and whatnot will help you, but it may help you a bit. It it at least might point you in a bit of a direction. There's at least something, instead of having nothing to read about climate anxiety, there's at least something. There are resources out
0: there. And I think people need to learn also to step back from social media, step back from the news. I mean, if it's starting to overwhelm you, Get away from it a little bit, go outside, take a walk, do whatever you can, but back off of all the media, because there's a lot of alarmists out there, too, that are trying to scare people. There's a whole mix of stuff going on, but if it becomes too much, just take a break. Get away from it.
1: Yeah. With my advocacy work, I'm online a lot because you can meet so many people and make connections like on LinkedIn and social media. Right. And I love learning. And the internet is just like a library in a box. (laughs) Very (laughs) true. And I have to say, Matthew, get outside. Come on, Matthew, get outside. And I'll go outside. and I'm like, oh, I could be helping somebody. Matthew, enjoy the day. Enjoy the sunshine. Enjoy the water. Enjoy the trees. Enjoy the birds singing. Listen to the birds singing, Matthew. Come on. Come on. Don't be so hard on yourself. Yeah.
0: There is nothing like yeah. nature. There is nothing like nature. So I agree a thousand percent.
1: I'm also doing some biweekly Zooms with some childhood friends. And through COVID the last two years. And we're really enjoying that. It's fun just to hang out and be silly and goofy with some of your friends who've you known for decades. And it's free. You can do that for free on Zoom. I love that idea.
0: That's neat. Well, I think we're going to wrap things up for today, but thank you very much. And like I said, I love your message. I love that you're brave and you put it out there and you bring in awareness to all this.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you for what you're doing.
1: Thank you. I really appreciate you having me on the podcast.
0: Oh, I loved having you. Okay, see you. Bye-bye. As we wrap up today's episode, I hope Matthew sharing his journey has helped you in some way. A couple of things stood out to me throughout our conversation. I love Matthew's bravery and his passion. He's overcome more than most of us will ever have to go through, and yet his passion and his purpose are devoting his life to helping others with mental illness and schizophrenia, no matter where they are in this world. Secondly, I think Matthew painted a vivid picture for those of us who don't suffer from mental illness by talking about battling the dragon. I could envision it as he talked about it. I can't imagine the fear or the pain involved, but as he said, you just have to keep going. I think he also made some excellent points of not being afraid of people with mental illness. They just want to be loved and heard like everyone else. And he also talked about the importance of staying on your medicine with something as serious as schizophrenia, even if you think you are cured and the symptoms have stopped. Obviously, never stop a medicine or change your treatment plan without consulting your doctor. As always, I hope this episode helps at least one person. And with that, I hope you have a blessed week, my friend. Thank you for listening to The Beauty and the Mess. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite pod player. If you have any questions or comments, any topic ideas you would like to hear about, or you think you would be a great guest on the show, you can reach me directly at thebeautyandthemess.com. Thanks for listening.